Psalm 21. This is God's word. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly he shall rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honour and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your praise. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath. The fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth. And their descendants from among the sons of men. For they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows on your string toward their faces. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Amen. We thank God that he blesses us when we read his word. Well, before we come to think on God's word together, let's come before him in prayer and ask for his help. Almighty God and most merciful Father, we humbly submit ourselves and fall down before your majesty, asking you from the bottom of our hearts that this seed of your word now sown among us may take deep root, that neither the burning heat of persecution cause it to wither, nor the thorny cares of this life choke it, but that as seed sown in good ground, it may bring forth thirty, sixty, or a hundredfold, as your heavenly wisdom has appointed. Amen. I wonder, friends, who you trust, who or what you trust. Trust is something that's built through experience. It's built through experience. For example, if you asked me to do something for you, something that's really important to you, and I forgot to do that or I was too busy to do it, well, then you wouldn't be very likely to ask me again. Or say I didn't do a very good job, you still wouldn't be likely to ask me again. And even if you gave me a second chance, you might be likely to put some things in order so that if I do forget or if I mess up, the job still gets done. Trust comes from experience. Ladies, imagine you're having someone over for dinner. 
and you've asked someone to make a dessert for everybody, your level of trust in that person is displayed in whether or not you have a dessert made and waiting in the fridge just in case. Maybe you know that person. Maybe in the past, that person has always delivered excellent brownies for everybody. Well, then you're less likely to make something yourself, just in case. Trust is built through experience. We can all think of examples in our own lives of the people we trust, or maybe the people we don't trust, because of our experience in the past. Well, Psalm 21, which we have before us today, is a great reminder of why we should trust God. Why we can trust God in any and in all situations. This psalm is built upon God's action in the past, as well as his action in the present, showing us that through the experience of the king and his people, our God is to be trusted. If you have a Bible with you, do have it open as we look at this psalm together. You'll notice that the psalm starts with the king praising God for his strength. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord. And then look to the end of the psalm and what we see is the people praising God for his strength. And so the psalm teaches us That we can trust in our God because he is strong. He is strong to accomplish all the things that he has promised. The first section in verses 1 to 6 proclaim to us all that God has done in the past through his covenant king. The second section, verses 8 to 13, tell us all that God is currently doing. Through his covenant king. And then right in the middle, verse 7 stands out as an explanation of why. Why God does what he does for his covenant king. So, we're going to begin at the beginning. A very good place to start. All that God has done in the past through his covenant king. This section of Psalm 21 is a response to the prayer that was offered in the previous psalm. Psalm 20 was a prayer for God's help, for God's salvation in battle, that God would give his king the victory. And so Psalm 21 is connected to Psalm 20 as a hymn of praise, as thanksgiving for all that God has done through his anointed king. And we can read some of the things that God has done. He's given him the desire of his heart. He has granted his request. He's blessed him with goodness. He set a crown upon his head. He's given him long life. He has made him most blessed forever. And as we read these things, as we read this first section of Psalm 21, we know that they're written about King David in history. And yet, do we not get this sense that they're not only speaking about David, 
They're speaking about a king who is greater than David. They're speaking about a king whose kingdom is greater, whose throne is higher than David's. A king who is indeed the most blessed of God. The true king of God. King spoken about in other Psalms. God's anointed, whom he has established as king in Zion. King over all the earth. The king we often sing about. We ask that he will be crowned with many crowns. It's King Jesus our Lord and Saviour. And so the Psalms speak about David, but as we read them, we get this sense that they're proclaiming a king that David could never really be. David couldn't live up to this. They are really and truly speaking of Jesus. You get that sense, don't you, as you read through the things that God has done for the king. These words describe King Jesus. As we read our Bibles, that's, that's what we learn. As we look through the New Testament, we begin to understand this. And in one way or another, either by direct quotation or by allusion, all of the kingly Psalms are used to speak about Jesus. Psalm 110 is a great example. Psalm 110 speaks about a king who is adored by his people, but despised by his enemies. And of all the parts of the Old Testament that are quoted in the New Testament, Psalm 110 is quoted more than any other. So if you really want to understand who Jesus is, and especially if you want to know who Jesus is as a New Testament believer would understand it. Well, then you need to read Psalm 110. Another example will be really obvious for us next week as we look at Psalm 22. Jesus quoted Psalm 22 from the cross. It accurately describes the events surrounding the crucifixion. And so Psalm 21 is not divorced from those other Psalms. We shouldn't be confused about who this psalm is describing. It was written about David. But even as it was being written, the Holy Spirit was at work. The Spirit of God was at work in the life of David. So that this psalm, written about him in a particular place at a particular time, actually speaks about Jesus Christ. Jesus Rejoices in the salvation of God through his own death and resurrection. Jesus has his heart's desire fulfilled that God be glorified through the salvation of sinners like you and me. Jesus is the full blessing of God. Jesus has been crowned by the Father as King of Kings. Jesus is eternal life. And he gifts that life to his people. Jesus alone is worthy to receive all glory and honour and majesty. And so if you think back to the start of the sermon. Who can I trust? Can I trust God? 
but we should base our answer on experience. Look at what God has done in the past. And often when we think about that, we think, what has God done in my life? But I want you to think about what God has done in the past through Jesus. In Jesus, we find the answer. In Jesus, we realise we can trust God in all circumstances. Because of what God has done in the past through his covenant king. Through Jesus. If you want to know who or what you can trust, look no further than Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. Know that because of all he has done, you can trust him entirely. What has he done? Well, out of love, he came and died upon the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could receive everlasting life. Friends, if you've never trusted in Jesus before today, please, please come to him in faith and repentance. Because your trust is either in Jesus or it's in something that Jesus has created. Don't put your trust in the things of this world. Don't put your trust in people. We know from experience, don't we, that people will let us down. I know from my own experience that you shouldn't put your trust in me. I will let you down. But Jesus Christ will never. Just look at what God has done through Jesus for you. You can and you should trust him today and forever. And this is where verse 7 comes in. Why does God do this? Why does God do what he does for his covenant king? I like the New King James Version of the scriptures, which we use Sunday by Sunday. But there are places where this translation doesn't quite do justice to the original language. But if I'm honest, I don't think any of the translations do a brilliant job on this one word. Look at verse 7. Do you see that it's through the mercy of the Most High that the king shall not be moved? This word mercy. The King James Version, the authorised version so-called, also uses the word mercy. The NIV calls it unfailing love. The English Standard Version, I think, comes the closest with the term steadfast love. Sometimes we just have to learn a little bit of Hebrew. The Hebrew word is hesed or chesed. It's a word used in the scriptures to speak of God's covenant love. Love that God has for his people whom he is in covenant with. It's It's a special, it's a strong love. It's a love that's so strong it cannot be broken Because it's God's covenant love. It's a love that God has promised. And God cannot break his promises. I want to take a short moment to explain what a covenant is. We use that word a lot in church. But maybe don't explain it that much. What is a covenant? Well a covenant is an agreement. 
It's an agreement between two parties. That could be two individuals, two groups of people, or an individual with a group. In the Bible, the word covenant is used a lot in many places and in a few different ways. But the essence of the word, as it's often used in the scriptures, is normally speaking about an agreement between God and his people. The central covenant in the Bible is one that was spoken to Abraham. It's reaffirmed at Sinai with Moses. It continues through David and is fully consummated through Jesus Christ. That covenant is often referred to as the covenant of grace. And it's simply this. God promises in his grace that he will be our God and we will be his people. Now that doesn't sound much like an agreement. It is an agreement, but God is the one who upholds both sides of the agreement. He upholds his side to be our God. And he upholds our side that we will be his people by bringing us into the kingdom of his covenant king, Jesus. We could say that Jesus is our covenant head, our representative. He's the one who does the battle for us with sin and death. And this is illustrated in a story that we all know very, very well. Boys and girls, I wonder if you've figured out what story it is yet. It's the story of David and Goliath. Whenever David went out to fight Goliath, and Goliath came out to fight David, they were representing their side. David fought for the Israelites, and Goliath fought for the Philistines. And whenever David defeated Goliath, his victory wasn't just David over Goliath. It was the Israelites over the Philistines. That's how it is with Jesus. Jesus is our covenant head, our representative, or our covenant king. If you are on his side, if you're in Jesus' team or in his kingdom, then all of his victory over sin and death is yours. When David defeated Goliath, the Israelites celebrated. They joyed in their victory, even though they hadn't lifted a hand in battle. They were standing behind David, scared to go out to fight. And yet they won the victory through David. So it is with Jesus. When we look back, when we see what God has done in the past through his anointed king, we too get to share in the victory of Jesus if we trust in him. And so you see how verse 7 is so key. Verse 7 is why God does what he does for his covenant king. Because the king in trusting the Lord, the king is trusting the Lord. And then look at the next line of verse 7. Through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Through the chesed, the covenant love of the Most High, the King shall not be moved. You see, 
All that God has done in and through Jesus can be yours when you trust in him. Why? Because God has promised. It's out of God's covenant love. God has promised that you shall not be moved. Victory over sin and death are yours because of Jesus. We are the people singing at the end of Psalm 21, verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. We sing these words because all that is spoken about of David in this psalm points us to Jesus. And when we trust in Jesus, if he is our covenant king, then all of this is true for us as well. What has happened in our past then because of Jesus? Well, it's verses one to six. We've been given the desires of our hearts. We're met with blessings of goodness. We have a crown placed on our head. We have everlasting life, length of days forever and ever. We are eternally blessed because of our King Jesus. That is what's true of Jesus. And just like the boys and girls, even though they didn't beat me, they got a packet of sweets because they were trusting in Joel. If you're trusting in Jesus, all of these blessings come to you because of what Jesus has. Well, that brings us to our final point, verses 8 to 13. All that God is currently doing through his covenant king. These verses are about what God continues to do to David's enemies. And again, it points us to Christ and his role as our covenant king. The shorter catechism tells us about Jesus as a king. Question 26 of the Shorter Catechism asks, how does Christ execute the office of a king? The answer is, Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. You see, when you are on the Lord's side, when you're trusting in Jesus, It's not just that he's defeated sin and death in the past. He continues to defeat sin and death for us. You can trust him for protection and defense. You can trust him to restrain and conquer all of his and our enemies. That's what the Lord did for David, isn't it? We read about it in Psalm 21. Your hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth and their descendants from among the sons of men. God is powerful and he is to be trusted to destroy all our enemies. Isn't that how we feel about the sin in our lives? Don't we want it to be destroyed? Don't we want the fire to devour it so that it no longer exists in us? That's what God is doing 
That's what God is doing for you through his covenant king, Jesus. As we read the Bible, we come to understand that gentle Jesus, meek and mild, well, that's only part of the story. Jesus is a friend. Jesus is caring and he is compassionate. But Jesus is also a warrior. Let me remind you of a a few verses from Revelation 19, which describe Jesus. Starting at verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. The armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe And on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's my King. That's my Jesus. Did you notice his weapon? His weapon is a sword. And where does the sword come from? It comes from his mouth. Jesus' word is his sword. It's through his word that he slays his enemies. That's why this book is so important. This is the the very weapon that Christ uses to fight our sin. Boys and girls, I, I know that in Sunday school you have sword drills. Is that right? And we call it a sword drill for a reason. The word of God is a sword This is how God fights against your sin. And so it's important that we read it, friends. It's important that we study it, that we seek to understand it, that we hear it preached. Being here on a Sunday is not just about having something to do. It's not just about an obligation. I must show up. We are here to do battle This is a fight. We are here Sunday by Sunday and in the whole service, but especially in the sermon, Christ's word is fighting your sin. Fighting against the temptations you face from Satan. Fighting against your desire to follow the world. Christ is fighting. He is battling right now. And because of what he's done in the past, because of our experience of him, we can know that we can trust him to use his word to put our sin to death. And so if you come to church and you feel convicted of sin, 
that's not me. That's not Jamie making you feel guilty. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit applying God's word to your hearts. It's the sword of the Spirit putting your sin to death. That's not always pleasant. In fact, most of the time it's painful. Most of the time it's painful to give up the desires of our hearts. Our love of money, our pride, our lust, our anger, our gossiping, our negative attitudes towards other people. It's painful to have those even pointed out to us, let alone to get rid of them. But as somebody said to me in this past week, no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. It is here. And it's in our times of personal and family devotions that we have the sin stripped off of us. We become more like Christ. If we're trusting in Jesus, if we are his people, well then we want to be like him. So we must submit to his word. The sword by which he puts to death all of his and our enemies. Do you trust Jesus? You've heard who he is. You've heard what he's like and what he's done in the past. He is God's covenant king. Trusting in him is the only way to have salvation, now and forever. And with that salvation comes blessing. Comes crowns of glory comes everlasting life. Let me pray for us.